0: So what is God doing in the midst of all the political chaos in America? We'll talk about that today and take your calls. Yeah, we, we are live, and we are back in our home studio, and I intended to be live from Pittsburgh yesterday, as I announced would be the case Monday, but there was a scheduling error. I, I failed to see when my flights were scheduling error, so in any case, sorry we couldn't be live with you yesterday, but we are certainly live right now. And shout out to Riley, in case you happen to be listening. We don't have any more grandkids that are not teens Our youngest, Riley, turns 13 years old today. Have an amazingly happy birthday. Glad at least my wife, Nancy, is with her and the family in Maryland. All right, here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Anything under the sun that's relevant to the Line of Fire broadcast that we can help you with, by all means, give us a call, whether it's political, theological, biblical, spiritual— it relates to Israel, the Jewish people. Give us a call. By the way, tonight, I'm scheduled to be on the YouTube show of Israeli News Live with Steve and Jonah ben Noon to have some very candid discussion about some of our areas of agreement and disagreement when it comes to the Jewish people and the Noahide laws, etc. So that's going to be tonight. Looking forward to that and uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be candid. I'll be candid, but with mutual respect as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if there's something worth talking about tomorrow that I feel is relevant, that I want to continue the discussion, we'll do that on Thirty Jewish Thursday broadcast tomorrow. But again, phone lines are open 866 34 Truth. Especially, especially if you differ with me on things, please call and tell me why. I respect that. I do. All right? You, you, you don't have to call the differ. That's fine. But if you do, I, I want you to know that the phone lines are open. All right. A little later in the broadcast, I want to reference a scripture, one of the most unusual in the New Testament, where Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. No, not a sword of violence, but a sword of division, even within families, as Kim and Kanye are experiencing right now. But that's what the gospel does. I want to talk about that. I have a new article on that. Jesus divides and unites families and prayers for, there we go, prayers for Kanye and Kim. So we'll get into that. But I have not talked a lot. As I said, I would not be talking a lot. I have not talked a lot about the whole impeachment hearings and everything swirling. If you missed the broadcast where I wrote about that uh, talked about it and wrote about it as well. If you missed the broadcast, I explained that things are going to be swirling day and night, and it's almost going to be like the latest gossip column, who said this and what, and, and the political intrigue, and who's doing this, this behind doors, and this is right, and this is wrong, and this should be happening, and this shouldn't be happening. And, and it'd be so easy to get caught up in the swirl of it. Now, I don't mean that some people shouldn't be talking about it every day or writing about it every day. And that may be their calling or their job, their profession, and that may be the role that they play, and that's their function as a newscaster or or conservative broadcaster or journalist or something like that. I'm not saying that it's wrong to be doing that, nor am I saying you're wrong if you're following it in detail. These are major issues. From my perspective, though, we get caught up in this fever, and and it's very easy to lose sight of the larger spiritual goals and, and even to break our fellowship with God because we're just so, so consumed. This is so bothering me. This is not right. Why is this behind? How could he get away? And and it becomes partisan politics and, and, and it divides and it stirs things up and it just gets us in the flesh. So I felt because this is going to be such an ongoing, intense situation and it's not going to resolve itself with any clarity for many, many weeks from its inception, that I would step back and only weigh in when I felt either there was something so newsworthy that I had to weigh in or that, that it, was, it was something where I, I had something worth contributing and saying at that moment. So where we are today is I just want to weigh in with some perspectives to help us keep our bearings in the midst of this. And here's my big question. What is God doing in the midst of the impeachment hearings? What, what is God's plan? People are doing this. People are doing that. What is God doing? What is God's plan? And, and here's the big picture. We don't know what God's end goal is in the short term. We know his end goal in the long term, right? Having a people that love him and enjoy him and glorify him forever and ever. We understand that. We understand the vision of the New Jerusalem, no death and suffering and God glorified and perfect blessing on his people forever and ever. And we understand that. But what's his end goal in the short term? In other words, in this world, in this generation, where is he going? We tend to think in, in the immediate, the next elections, Supreme Court justices, political decisions, the economy, national security, immigration, abortion. All issues that are relevant, that are important, but there's something bigger. Speaking with my dear friend James Robison a couple of times in the last week, one thing he's been emphasizing, is says, God's only building his kingdom. And in other words, it's, it's, it's never partisan politics. It's never just about Republicans or Democrats or just about America or just about the nations. It's about the plan of God, the purpose of God in the midst of the world. God's bigger than America, God's bigger than the nations, God's bigger than the world, God's bigger than the universe, God's bigger than everything he created, and he has an agenda, and he has a plan. So first thing, I just want to remind us of that, to step back and to worship the God who rules and reigns, to worship the God who is king, and to say, God, your will be done on heaven as it is on earth, just as your will is executed in heaven perfectly. And just so you have a plan in heaven that is executed, may it be executed just the same on the earth. May it be perfectly executed. May it come to pass on the earth. Now, part of that's a long-term prayer, right, for the final manifestation of the kingdom with the return of Jesus when he sets up his kingdom on the earth and destroys wickedness. And, and whether you believe in a literal thousand-year millennium as I do, and then eternity, or from here into eternity, either way. We are ultimately praying for his return for the destruction of all evil, for the manifestation, the full manifestation of the kingdom of God without any resistance, forever and ever and ever. That's the long term of your will be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what does it mean in the short term? What does it mean in terms of President Trump? What does that mean in terms of, of, of Congress? What does that mean in terms of the Supreme Court? What is God's plan in all this? I remember talking to a colleague of mine, evangelical colleague, who, in these, these were the days when I was very strongly pro-Ted Cruz and very much against Donald Trump during the primaries. And I really wanted to see Cruz become president and thought he'd be the right man. And my friend said, what if God wants to use Trump for eight years to clean house and shake things up and then bring Cruz in to, to rebuild and, and make things strong? You know, eight years of Trump and eight years of Cruz. I said, I could be, I don't see it. You know, the whole wrecking ball thing and, the, and you know, the draining the swamp, but then a whole lot of collateral damage in the process. And so all that to say, God has a plan bigger than that. And even if that was his plan, what's his larger plan for America and all this? Why? For what purpose? It's not just for political victory, and it's, it's not just for a temporary earthly victory and a righteousness issue and things like that. Plus, we know in this world, we'll never see perfect victory of anything in terms of society. You know what I'm saying? You're never going to have a perfectly righteous, perfectly just society. Even even if laws turned regarding abortion, you, you'd have people having uh, illegal abortions. Uh, you know, just like people are doing drugs illegally and selling people in human trafficking, you, you'd have things happen. Even if you had revival sweep through a region, you're still going to have people who don't believe, and and you're still going to have crime. You're still going to have injustice. So you know, you stand for justice. You speak out against evil. Understanding in this world. You'll never have it perfectly. So what is God doing in all of this? Certainly, certainly, he is revealing a lot about who we are as a nation, as a church, as political parties. He is revealing the depth of the divisions that exist. And remember a truism from the words of Jesus and repeated by Abraham Lincoln that that a house divided will not stand. So the depth of America's divisions are acute. When I met with some believers from Europe and America a few weeks ago, a couple months ago now in Texas, one of them from Germany was saying, you know, we have different political parties. We don't just have two, but we have these different political parties and you can sit down and have differences. You know, you're Christians. and I vote for this one. I vote for that one. And it's it's not the same as here. In other words, it's not as volatile and it's not as divisive and it's not as big of an issue. So through everything that's happening we are seeing the depth of division within us. I also believe we're seeing how many Christians look to the political system for change more than the kingdom of God. How many Christians look to a political leader or party to bring about social change or to bring about what they believe are the important agendas for society that that they are looking to the political system and the the world much more than they are to God and the church. I've said it many a time, but if I drew up a list of the 10 most important things that I could do to to bring lasting change to America, voting would be, I don't know, number eight or nine or ten. I mean, it's way down the list. And of course, it would start with prayer. It, it would start with repentance. It would start with evangelism and it, it, discipling and standing up for what's right and, and so many things and, and, and being clothed with God's spirit, et cetera. But, but what's happened now through this whole system, this whole process, it's revealed how earthly and fleshly we can be. All right? And, and here's the bigger thing. We need to be praying in all this, not partisan prayers, not, not prayers to back the, the Republicans or the Democrats or prayers to back the president or prayers to back a Democrat candidate, et cetera. Rather, we need to be praying, Father, you bring your will to pass. What if? Here. So what if? What if it was God's will? That Donald Trump was removed and Mike Pence was, was raised. He said, no, don't even say those words, man. You're spe- I'm just asking a question. Or, or, or that Donald Trump said, right now, this is too divisive for the nation. I'm stepping out of the way. And then you had primaries and then another candidate came forth and replaced him. Or what if this is a demonic attack to try to take out the president who, despite all of his flaws and blemishes, is doing a lot that's important and good, and anyone weaker than him, anyone who wasn't as tough and, and headstrong as him, would cave in. And he's needed. Or is this revealing something about the Church of America, so that as we lean too much in the political system and put all our eggs in that basket, that it ends up pushing back against us and everything swings with a Democrat landslide in 2020, and next thing we realize, well, what are we looking at? In other words... We don't necessarily know what the outcome is supposed to be. and Therefore, we pray. Some believe they have insight. They've spoken of it and even written on why this one should be elected or why it's critical to see Trump reelected. And they may well have insight from the Lord. But aside from that, my prayer is, Lord, you have a purpose. Bring it to pass.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us.
0: 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. I'm going to go to the phones shortly. But you might say, okay, so what are you actually saying about what's happening in America? What's your point? My point is that God has purposes bigger than just what we are looking at. For example, it could be that the importance of the Trump presidency is such that all hell is breaking loose against him to take him out before he finishes his mission. And his mission has to do with the dismantling of some massive strongholds in D.C. and the world. And it takes someone who's like a human bulldozer with a forehead of steel to take these things on, and no matter how strong someone else is, they're, they're not Trump. And therefore, this is a, a satanic effort to take him out. Or it could well be that there's something very different going on and, and that in the midst of everything in the impeachment hearings and so on. And, and by the way, I, my prayers bring everything to light. Your will be done. Remembering that the Democrats were trying to impeach Trump. and been talking about it for many, many a month before the whole Ukraine phone call thing blew up. But I don't know what God's immediate end game is, and I do know that it's important that I don't get sucked into the vortex of the day, the back and the forth, and the back and the forth, and the and 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 you get emotional, just agitated, whichever side you're on, and you're, you're agitated. And it's frustrating, and then, well, what is happening, and why don't we know the name of this whistleblower, and what happened with this, and why is this in secret? And, and think of this that when the president conducts this raid to to take out Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi or to capture him alive and he blows himself up, whatever the plan was, uh, he doesn't tell Congress, he doesn't tell certain key people because he's afraid that they'll leak the information. And I I think he had good reason to be afraid. I I think that's a shameful indictment of the state of things. And I don't care what's going on whether President Obama was in office or President Trump's in office, the the idea of the secret leaks and the whistleblowers, I think that's despicable. And Somebody writes a whole book, you know, I'm an insider, I'm going to tell the truth. Well, then say who you are, man or woman, say who you are. I I find this whole secret thing despicable. It's one thing when, you know, you may be a victim, a sex crime against you, and you don't want your name paraded around before the whole world, or you don't want to have to revisit something by sitting with the the person that abused you. I understand that, all right? Or you might be a, a secret missionary working in North Korea, and, and if your identity was known for one second, you'd be dead, or worse still, in lifelong torturous imprisonment in North Korea, all right? I understand that. This, for the most part, this is very, very different. So May the truth come to light. Here's where we all come together, right? As God's people, from all backgrounds, regardless of who you voted for, or whether you voted at all, here's how we all come together. We get on our knees before God. With love, one for another, we refuse to allow partisan politics to divide us. All right? We refuse to allow that to happen. And instead, we say, God, bring the truth to light. God, your will be done, your plan for right now and your plan for the 2020 elections and your plan for Donald Trump, because there was one prophetic word in particular spoken years earlier, that Trump would be the president, but that he would enter the White House not as a praying man, not as a man on his knees, but when he was done, he would be a praying man, he would be a man on his knees. I don't see that happening yet at least if it's happened in private, there's no reflection of it in public, okay? So what's God's purpose for Donald Trump in office? Well, how should, are we praying kingdom prayers? Or are we praying prayers that's caught up in the the news cycles and the madness of it all? So I'm saying God is doing something bigger. And, And God in the midst of this, Lord, how are you building your church in the midst of this? That's the bigger thing. How is God advancing his kingdom in the midst of this? That's that's the bigger picture. How is that playing out? What does that look like? What does that mean? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to understand. So I can be in sync with God. I can be in sync with his larger plan. How can the gospel go forth more clearly through this? Right now, evangelicals are so largely associated with President Trump that if he does something wrong, then we get blamed as if we're guilty of the same actions and Lord, how are you building your church in the midst of this? What, what are you saying? What's happening? Don't lose sight of those bigger issues, friends. And, and I'll say this last thing, then I want to go to the phones. 866-34-TRUTH. Comments, response to what I'm saying, or questions of all kinds. Before I go to the phones, this last point. We have a role and we have a mission, which is 24-7. And, and wherever you live, anywhere in the world... We have a role, we have a mission, okay? And you may live in a closed, oppressed country. You may live in a very open country like America. But what's your mission in the midst of this? What's my mission in the midst of this? I'm hearing reports in different places of God pouring out His Spirit, of God moving powerfully in different churches, different places. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if God's Spirit is poured out in extraordinary measure, not in one place, so we talk about the revival here, but in a hundred places at once so we talk about the, the revival of 2019, 2020, or the, the great outpouring in America, there, you know, the, the, the third great you know whatever number we put on it, you, know, a national awakening, w- wouldn't that be amazing? So Lord, bring that to pass in the midst of this. May, may people wake up and recognize the bankruptcy of so much of our system and, and, and the, the degree of flesh in the midst of our system. Don't tell me. That, that a whole lot of people in, in politics are thinking about what's best for America right now. There is something that's driven by an agenda on all different sides. So let's be in prayer. I hope that helps. I hope these thoughts are useful. And that's part of my role as your voice of moral, cultural, spiritual revolution, not just to be reporting on the news, but bring a kingdom perspective. All right. With that, we go to the phones starting in California. Francisco, welcome to the line of fire.
2: Hello, Dr. Brown.
0: Hello. Hey.
2: Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey, I just want to say thank you, first of all, for um, taking my call. And, and uh, I ran into your YouTube channel not that long ago, and it's just been a blessing for my life. Um, just re- My question is, um, three months ago, the Lord has been trying with my life and uh, through prayer and just through his word. And I ran just today, I ran into a, a question that uh, um, just not bothering me, but I just have a question. That I thought I'd call you. It's uh, this brother Derek Prince, uh, mm-hmm. he's a preacher, sure. he mentioned that people, uh, believers can be uh, they can have the Holy Spirit and they can be demon oppressed. And he gave an example of the one of the somebody was in the synagogue and and Jesus casted the the, the demon out of him. And that was kind of his example. But um, I believe what I believe is a true believer, born again believer. Not be demon-oppressed, but maybe like Job, that he touched his body, and he was, um, he was filled with—well, uh, he, he was sick, and, and maybe be touched by the devil in, in that case? Well, I don't know if you can shed some light on that.
0: Yeah, of course, there's—Derek Prince was a fine Bible teacher with the Lord now, and there's been debate, you know, for many years, is there a difference between being demon-possessed— a demon oppressed so that a Christian could not be demon-possessed, but could be oppressed because one's the inside, one's the outside. Others would say those are wrong concepts because the Greek word really means demonized, so it's being under some type of demonic influence. Others would say, no, no, it speaks of someone having a demon and the demon being cast out. So rather than get into a theoretical discussion, to me what's clear is that everyone potentially can be under some degree of demonic influence. I just heard Dr. Jack Deere talking about this a few weeks ago, and was making a similar point, that every human being can be under some degree of demonic influence. Someone that's not saved can be completely taken over by the enemy so that they become a complete slave to the enemy's will, and they need to be supernaturally delivered. And so they open the door, and they become enslaved, and the only way they can get set free is with God's supernatural help. Uh, you might be a believer, and you open the door to darkness, maybe you know, fear, or maybe some sexual lust, or some areas of disobedience and lying, and next thing this thing is, is, is battering you, and, and you feel this torment and this attack, and it's hard to get free, that one way or another we can open ourselves up to demonic power. I do not believe that to the extent we think of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and us being temples of the Holy Spirit— I do not believe that Satan can dwell along with the Holy Spirit inside of us in that regard. So that would be what you're saying. But I do believe that because we're recognizing that we're not dealing with physical beings, but spiritual beings, there can be a lot of intersection. You know what I'm saying? There can be torment. It feels like it's in us because it's in our mind and it's it's this battering thing. What we need to understand is that Satan has no right to a square inch of us in Jesus He has no right to a spirit, soul, and body in Jesus. And if we will renew ourselves with God's truth, renew our mind to what God's word says about who we are as sons and daughters of God and people indwelt by the Holy Spirit and people full of the word of God as we get the word in our hearts and our minds, then in fellowship with God, we can say, Satan, get out. By get out, maybe it's attacking our family, maybe attacking our thought life, maybe attacking our health, maybe attacking our finances, but to whatever extent we see demonic activity that doesn't belong, it's like, no, no, I'm owned by God. I belong to God. I'm indwelt by God. Jesus is my Lord. There's no room for darkness. So in Jesus' name, I submit myself to God. James, Jacob chapter 4, I submit myself to God, and I resist the devil, and he'll flee. So whether he's on you, in you, around you, to me, is not the bigger issue. It's you can't stay here. Get out and go in Jesus' name. Hey, hope that was helpful and useful. The key starts with submission to God, and out of that, Satan has to flee as we resist. God bless you, man. Be strong in the Lord.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Welcome, welcome to the broadcast. Just a reminder to those of us watching on Facebook, we will not be on YouTube again for another couple of days. We immediately appealed the ridiculous strike that was given to us for posting a video interview I did on another show That show is online, YouTube, no penalty, no problem. I'm glad it is. We posted the identical one. We got a penalty for inappropriate content. It's completely, utterly ridiculous. The appeal immediately denied, like instantly denied. We posted it, and about a day later or less, it was denied. So obviously not even properly uh, processed, let alone rightly denied. In any case, in any case, we continue to reach as many as we can on YouTube, but we cannot live stream for another couple of days. However, the show is being live streamed on Facebook. For those who want to watch, everyone listening on all of our radio stations, welcome to the broadcast 866-34-TRUTH. Right wing watch, a project of people for the American way. In other words, way left and attacking people like you and me on a daily basis. Anti-LGBTQ activist, Michael Brown, He's using Hollywood to promote his recent book, Jezebel's War with America. Halloween, 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 not Hollywood, but sometimes closely related. He's using Halloween to promote his recent book, Jezebel's War with America, which warns about the demonic spirit of Jezebel, which he associates with radical feminism, abortion and sexual morality, as well as the rise of witchcraft and sorcery in America. Yeah, sounds right to me. Sounds pretty self-evident to me. Sounds like what 's happening in the world around us today. Connect the dots duh yep here 's a quote this week. many little girls around the country may dress up as witches for Halloween, some perhaps cute and others a little scary. says a press release promoting brown 's book, but there is nothing pretended about the very real and very frightening presence of witchcraft in America says author and national radio host Dr. Michael Brown. Brown's book asserts that the demonic Jezebel spirit is enraged by Trump because he is fighting abortion, opposing LGBT extremism and supporting the prophets of God. Anyway, right wing watch when they attack you means you're doing something good. Now, there's some loonies they attack, but glad to be attacked. What's the general headline of the article by Peter Montgomery? Thanks, Peter, for your quotes. October 29th, so yesterday Witchcraft panic fuels Trump allies' war on Halloween. Oh, so should, we, should we like be celebrating Halloween? Celebrating the the skeleton, you know, the walking skeleton outfits and the Halloween movies with everybody getting. So, hey, let me ask you a question: What kind of movies? What kind of movies are played on Halloween? What what are the movies named Halloween? Don't you have the horror fest now? Uh, with Halloween, when, when Hollywood's putting out movies that are Halloween themed. Or where the networks are running, you know, specials during Halloween season. What are they? Here's a wonderful family mem- family movie, and it's very warm and moving. No. No, it's about a family getting butchered or some satanic activity taking place. Oh, is there a reason for that? But you don't know the origins of the day. Well, whatever the origins of the day, I, I know the way it is celebrated today, and it's dark. And a lot of Satanists make a major focus. People that are ex-Satanists and ex-witches have told us, oh, yeah, this is a time of major spiritual focus for them. Am I afraid? No, I'm not afraid of the devil. Just aware and saying, wake up to these realities. You know, G.K. Chesterton observed that when people no longer believe in God, it's not that they believe in nothing, but they believe in everything. And sociologist, anthropologist, Professor Rodney Stark has written about this and, and I quoted in Saving a Sick America and allude to it in Jezebel's war with America, that when you have nations like Iceland, with a very, very, very low percentage of, of people who believe in God, and and of active Christians, you know, very low percentage. And and almost nobody among young people, I mean, statistically believing in, in God, the Creator of the universe kind of thing. I mean just a a very God less nation in terms of religious and spiritual beliefs relating to the Bible. they believe in all kinds of bizarre superstitions and 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 they believe in in certain type of people that that these what do you want to call them? not like fairies, gremlins, but they live underground and and yeah, I researched, I mean I read it. it's like what? and then I researched it more. So if you're, if you're going to build a new road here, you got to consult with the spiritual experts to know, well, you're going to be disrupting them if you build it there. And a lot of the population believes it. So you cast off belief in God, and you believe in all kinds of other stuff, beings, deception. Anyway, just wanted to say that since tomorrow is Halloween. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to the phones in Iowa. Dave, welcome to the line of fire.
3: Hello, Dr. Brown. Uh, I greatly respect you and your opinions, and I am a pastor and a denominational leader. I will leave the denomination nameless now, but I have a situation I'd like to know your thoughts on. Please. Uh, I'm the member of a committee. It's a committee that approves of ministerial licenses and ordination, and at uh, one of our last meetings, I asked uh, one of the candidates for uh, ordination. My question was, is there ever a time that God would approve of a homosexual relationship? And uh, the answer of the candidate was follows. Uh, He said, if two people of the same sex love each other, that's just fine as long as the relationship is not physical. And so I... I had a problem with that answer, um, and I'm getting some flack as maybe one of the only ones on the committee that uh, did have a problem with that answer. And I would like to know your thoughts on the matter.
0: Certainly. Uh, If people are friends, just like you and your, your best buddy guy are friends and there's nothing romantic about it or obviously sexual about it, that's one thing. But that's not what's being spoken of. What's being spoken of is a homosexual relationship where two men fall in love with each other or two women fall in love with each other. They're just not actively having sex. Of course, that's wrong in the sight of God because it's the type of affection and love that they're feeling is not the affection and love that, say, a father has for a son or two guys that play on the same baseball team together have, you know, they've been buddies for years. No, this is the love that's no. supposed to be the love between a man and a woman. This is the love where you want to spend the rest of your life committed to that person and make lifelong vows that, you know, to death do us part kind of thing. But they're saying, well, because God doesn't approve of homosexual practice, therefore we won't have sex. Of course the whole thing is wrong here. It's, it's no different ultimately then if you're a married man and you fall in love with a woman you're not married to and the woman falls in love with you. So you have this deep love for each other. You wish that you could be together physically and have sex, but you can't because you're not married, but you're going to maintain that relationship. Of course it's sinful. Uh, Obviously it's not just the physical act. So while I appreciate uh, there may be a, a gay couple and two ladies love each other, but they say, well, because we're Christians, we can't touch each other and we can't be together physically. I I appreciate that step that they've taken, but the whole relationship is wrong in God's sight. It is contrary to his order and his design. There is a love between a husband and a wife, between a man and woman that is unique and is established by God for eternal purposes. Here, look, I have a relationship with my wife, Nancy, that I cannot have with any other woman on the planet. There's a love I have. Even if we're separated by 5,000 miles, I'm in another part of the world. E- e- even if you know, we're, we're physically separated for, for months because I'm in one part of the world, she's in another part of the world, the relationship I have with her emotionally in my heart, my desire, the connection I can only have with her. If I had it with any other woman on the planet, it would be sinful. It would be wrong. So absolutely, yeah. categorically, no debate about it.
3: Yeah, and my concern is also, if this is approved of, uh, it's just one step away then from absolute affirmation.
0: Of course. And
3: our, our denomination right now is, they came out with a statement saying that, you know, marriage is only between a man and a woman, uh, that homosexual acts are sinful, but they're studying into orientation. In other words, the orientation in itself may not be uh, sinful. And uh, so it's a slippery slope, and so what we're getting now is these kind of answers that, okay, that's okay to be two, for two people to
0: yeah, yeah.
3: have a relationship and be in love as long as they don't do anything physical, and I, I just, I have a problem with that, because number one, we see what the next step will be, and number two, it's the actual relationship in itself that I believe is condemned in Scripture, not just the, the physical acts. Right, And so uh, I'm, I'm getting, catching quite a bit of flack because of this. and uh, So I just wanted to know your thoughts. I appreciate yeah,
0: that, that's a, it. Yeah, it's, a, again, a non-debatable black and white. And for anyone that's even struggling, just ask him the question, why is this any different? If, if the physical relationship is sinful in God's sight and clearly forbidden, we know the physical act is clearly forbidden, then why would the emotional act be accepted? Why is that any different than a, a married man uh, having thoughts about a woman he's not married to. Why, why is it any different? Well, it's not hurting. No, forget hurting. We're just talking about the thoughts. You know, we're just talking about those because it's illicit. It is illegal. It's contrary to God's order, contrary to God's plan. And then, again, you ask the question, as you rightly said, where does this lead? It's always a simple thing to ask. If I allow this to go to its normal end, where will it go? So, for example, take truth, multiply truth, endlessly. What do you get? Truth. Take love. Multiply love endlessly. What do you get? Love. Take anger and bitterness. Multiply them endlessly. I mean, you end up with every type of, of violent act and, and hateful act. Or, or take sexual immorality. Multiply that. You end up with unimaginable perversions. So you have the commitment of a husband and wife. You, you love each other. And, okay, let's multiply that. All right, you commit to each other physically, let's multiply that. You care for each other, you live the rest of your lives together, you have children, wonderful. Let it keep multiplying. You take two men or two women that love each other and and want to spend the rest of their lives together but feel the physical act is wrong. Well, Where is that going to go? It can only go in one direction. And the other thing is, would God put the desire in the person's heart right, because these are alleged Christians and want to serve the Lord, but he put the desire in their heart to do something which the doing of it would be a sin in his sight, or the following through on that would be a sin in his sight. So when it comes to the question of quote orientation, the best thing to look at is God created human beings in his image, and we're a fallen race, and the fallenness is manifest in many different ways. But don't even think in terms of sexual orientation. Think in terms of God's order, God's plan. So, someone that same sex attracted, however deeply seated in them, they realize this is wrong, this is contrary to God's desire, and to act on it, and you could act on it emotionally, that is certainly sin. May God give you wisdom, my brother, and strength.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: You know, that that call from this Pastor Dave reminds me of something that I'm reminded of every single day. We didn't ask for this battle. We didn't start this. We didn't go around, well, I'm going to get mad at homosexuals and hate on them. We understood the Bible said what it said. We've been following this pattern. Marriage is the union of a man and a woman as God intended. We understand God's order. There's never been major question, basically, in 2,000 years of church history among Bible-believing people. In other words, those who actually believe the, the Bible is God's word about homosexual practice. It is part of the rise of the sexual revolution and part of the larger attack on the meaning of family and gender distinctions. And on and on it goes. So we are simply responding, but seeking to respond with truth and with love. As we've said many times, we need hearts of compassion and backbones of steel. We need to reach out and resist. We reach out with compassion to people. We resist the agenda with courage. Just looking at a, at a staff meeting, team meeting uh, right before radio, and looking at some of the prayer requests that have come in in recent weeks, and one woman, please pray. My husband was an elder in our church, active churchgoer. He has now left me, married many years from what I could tell, has now left me and has embraced gay theology. Oh, you don't want to get involved with the culture wars, brother. Just preach Jesus. Oh, so Jesus is not concerned about the breakup of a marriage. And Jesus is not concerned about an elder who now embraces false and deceptive theology, which, if he doesn't repent of, will destroy his soul. Jesus doesn't care about that. And then another request. My son has now come out as gay, and he said he asked God to help him change, and he didn't change. We're talking about people. We're talking about individuals. We're talking about people loved by God, created in the image of God, and yet fallen, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for the assignment to be on the front lines of the culture wars as a follower of Jesus and a Christian leader. I didn't ask for that, but it's something he gave me out of his purposes and knowing what he made me for. But not just me, none of us can sit this out. In case you missed when I shared this, I I was speaking on Long Island a few weeks ago, fine church, dear friend there, many years speaking at his church and did a Friday night meeting, mainly young people, but there are others there as well. And then afterwards, time for Q&A, so a lot of cultural questions came up. A woman wants to know, what do I do? I'm an elementary school teacher, and I've been told if, if a boy identifies as a girl, I have to refer to him as a girl, and I have a problem with that. What do I do? Another woman, I'm, I'm a doctor, and I have an issue with, with the transgender guidelines. In other words, if a biological male comes in, and identifies as a female, I have to treat that person as a female, talk to that person as a female, I have a problem with that. And she said to me afterwards, you know, unless we all say on the same day, basically, we're just not going along with this, then this one can be fired and that one can be fired. If we all stand together, it's not going to happen. Another woman comes up to me, what do I do? My, my, my son uh, recently came out as, as uh, no, no, my daughter recently came out, these are grown children, and told me she's a lesbian. And I guess that emboldened my son, and now he says he actually believes he's a woman. What? Why don't we get involved in the culture? We're talking about people. People. All right? So uh, what if it's, you know, you're a toddler that's at the next drag queen reading? <clears throat> so, of course, we get involved, but we get involved with a larger gospel view. We get involved with a larger kingdom view. We don't just get involved in a political or social level, we get involved in a gospel level. Now, we do get involved politically, we're appropriate, we do vote, and we, and, we, and we do write to candidates, and we do stand for certain causes, and certain times it's like, hey, I can't give you my business. In good conscience, I can't give you my business, because you make such a big stink about standing with these groups and giving money to these groups, I have a problem with that. For, for example, if there was a company I, I did regular business with, let's say a favorite store in my neighborhood. And they just begin to proclaim, we want you to know that we're standing with Planned Parenthood and we're giving a percentage of every single purchase to Planned Parenthood. Then I would contact them. I would meet with local store managers. I would, I, would, I would contact national headquarters. And if they said this is what we're doing, then I'd say I can't give you my business. And I'd announce it loudly and clearly and tell others. And maybe we could send them a message. You know, there are employees there and people that work hard and you don't want to hurt. But I, I can't do that in good conscience. So there are things like that we do, but ultimately, we pray and we share the gospel, and we love people, and we speak the truth, and we don't move from the truth regardless of cost or consequence. Here, I'm just looking during the break at a story on, on Fox News, and it's, it's, it's quite an intense story. Trump, judicial pick, breaks down in tears at hearing over legal groups' attack. So he's one of President Trump's nominees for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and by the way, Trump's appointees have, have begun to transform the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is infamously liberal, crazily liberal in terms of some of the decisions that it's rendered. And, and it's very big, so you have different panels that can be chosen out kind of random from different ones on it to make decisions. And recently, it was a very strong decision, I'd say it was a righteous decision made by a bunch of majority Trump appointees that just happened to be in, in in the right committee at the right time, you could say. So, so look at this, uh, the story. One of President Trump's nominees for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals broke down in tears during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing Wednesday as he disputed suggestions that he would not be fair to members of the LGBTQ community. Lawrence Van Dyke was the subject of a scathing letter from the American Bar Association, which is... F- Infamously liberal as well, infamously pro-abortion and pro-LGBT activism, etc. It was sent to committee leadership Tuesday night, which alleged that people they interviewed expressed this concern and that Van Dyke himself, quote, would not say affirmatively that he would be fair to any litigant before him, notably members of the LGBT community. So they write this scathing letter, and he would not even say that he would treat everyone fairly. All right? But conservatives have adamantly defended the nominee. And when asked about this at Wednesday's hearing, Van Dyke strongly disputed the ABA's account. I did not say that, Van Dyke told Senator Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri. Tears welling up in his eyes. No, I did not say that. I do not believe that. It is a fundamental belief of mine that all people are created in the image of God. They should all be treated with dignity and respect, Senator. He added, sobbing. Van Dyke also said that he was not given a fair opportunity to respond to the allegations during his ABA interview. He said when he was confronted with concerns about his views, he began to answer but was told they were running out of time. That interview was conducted by Marsha Davenport, the lead evaluator. Hawley noted that Davenport once contributed to the campaign of a judicial candidate who was running against Van Dyke. I find that absolutely unbelievable, Hawley said stating it probably explains the total ad hominem nature of this disgraceful letter. In any case, may the will of God be done with this political appointee, this court appointee. Bottom line, bottom line. We cannot avoid these pressing issues. I'm reading about, hey, Mayor Pete, he could he could be the Democrat candidate. There's a path for him. So you have an openly homosexual man, quote, married to his partner, quoting the Bible and claiming to be a Christian and calling Mike Pence hypocritical. <clears throat> yeah, a whole lot to say on that. All right. Back to this article that I wrote. I referenced earlier how Jesus divides and unites families and prayers for Kim and Kanye. So – Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't think I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword, all right? I came to bring a sword. What kind of sword? Violence? Put down the cross, take up the sword, conquer the nations. No, 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 not conquering by the sword. God forbid. Jesus lays down his life rather than takes the lives of others to advance his cause. Rather, a sort of division. And he, and he quotes from Micah 7, that, that I've come to divide one from another. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household, right? And he's quoting there from, from where? From Micah 7. Interestingly, in the Mishnah, which is compiled uh, about two centuries after the time of Jesus, listen to this, listen to this. It's, it says uh, in, in the Mishnah at the end of Tractate Sota. In the footsteps of the Messiah, meaning in the days immediately before it's revealed, insolence will increase and the cost of living will go up greatly. The vine will yield its fruit, but wine will be expensive. The government will turn to heresy There'll be no one to rebuke. The meeting place of scholars will be used for licentiousness. The wisdom of the learned will rot. Fears of sin will be despised and the truth will be lacking. Youths will, be put, uh, will put old men to shame. The old will stand up in the presence of the young. And then it quotes... <clears throat> Micah 5, for son spurns father, daughter rises up against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, man's own enemies, uh, a man's own household or his enemies. In other words, Jewish tradition at that time was saying with the coming of the Messiah, there will be great social conflict and darkness. And Jesus quotes that very same passage. What we know is when God starts working in a household, you know, maybe you used to get drunk together as a couple, now one doesn't want to drink anymore. Or you're not married and, you know, you're having sex and now one of you get saved. It's like, we can't do this and we need to get married if we're going to continue this relationship. Or you, you'd watch certain movies. It's like, I can't watch that anymore. It's like, you know, it just running people down and slandering them. It's like, honey, I, I, I don't feel right. You know, it's what? who are you? What happened? So you're having those conflicts now in the, the whole home of Kanye West and Kim, and He doesn't like some of her sexy dresses. And she's like, you wanted me to be this sexy person. And so that's how division comes. But Jesus unites families. How many of you are shaking your head like, yes, yes, exactly. Our families only together because of the Lord. Let's pray that, that, that there will be such radical conversions in, in Kim Kardashian's heart and, and, and others. Hey, right up through Bruce Jenner. Stepfather, let's pray for such radical conversions that this family will be supernaturally united by Jesus. All right, Thoroughly Jewish Thursday tomorrow. Don't miss it.